podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Tuesday, the 20th of April, and we're brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access American Netflix, use Now TV outside the UK, that type of thing. Also keeps your data safe online, which is very important in this day and age. Check out libertyshield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. It's a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, one game last night, a game that was kind of secondary to everybody, I think. Uh, Liverpool drew 1-1 with Leeds at Elland Road. Liverpool were very good in the first half. Leeds were very good in the second half. A draw was the fair result. Liverpool went 1-0 up through Sadio Mane on 31. Really nice bit of play involving Ozan Kabak, Diogo Jota, Trent Alexander-Arnold, and then a tap-in for Sadio Mane. The Reds probably should have been two up in the first half, spurning a couple of decent opportunities. But in the second half, they didn't come out the same team. Leeds ran up through the gears and were very, very good and well-deserving of their equaliser, which came from Diego Loriente at a header from a corner on 87. Leeds had missed a couple of good chances. Alison Becker had made some big saves to keep them keep Liverpool in the lead. But I genuinely feel like this result was a fair reflection of the game we saw. Now... Leeds, for their part, I mean, they're they're always good value. You're never going to be disappointed in a Leeds United game of football, not under Bielsa. Uh, they're 10th in the league, level on points with Arsenal, held back by their goal differential. That's it. They've now conceded 50 in the league. They've scored 50 in the league. It, that kind of sums them up. Uh, for them this season, they've still got Manchester United at home, Brighton away, Tottenham at home. Burnley away, Southampton away, and West Brom at home. So the next three to four are difficult games. United and Spurs at home will be difficult games, but at home, I think they'll they'll believe they can take points from those games. Trips then to Brighton and Burnley, again, not easy. Both teams still searching for points to secure Premier League safety. The last two, Southampton away, if they're still playing like they are right now, that'll be a good win for Leeds. And then West Brom at home on the final day. Leeds look a good bet for a top-half finish. And that would be a great achievement for a newly promoted club. Uh, for Liverpool, this is a missed opportunity. They stay sixth in the league. They are two points off West Ham. They would have gone fourth with a win. But the two points off West Ham, three points off Leicester. They do have an easier run-in than either of those teams, and an easier run-in than Chelsea, who are a point ahead of them. They've now played a game more than Leicester and Chelsea. 
Their remaining six games are Newcastle at home on Saturday, then Manchester United away, but then Southampton at home, West Brom away, Burnley away, and Crystal Palace at home. Those last four are all winnable games. They're games they should win, they must win. Newcastle is the same. That's five wins from six the Reds should take. And five wins should get them into the Champions League. Now, of course, that's all overshadowed. Like the game last night was overshadowed. Liverpool fans, sorry, Leeds fans, greeted the Liverpool team bus with signs about greed and chants about them being scum. I'm afraid you're targeting the wrong people with your ire. The manager, the coaches, the players, they, they didn't make this decision. They're not the driving force behind the European Super League. The ownership are the driving force. And it's all well and good for the other owners, including the owners of Leeds, to take the high ground, to grandstand, to say, earn it. Like, I don't know how tone deaf you have to be to leave T-shirts in the dressing room of the defending league champions, the most successful team in England, saying, earn it on the pitch or whatever they said. It's a bit strange. It's a bit strange, especially when Leeds 100% would have been in if they'd been asked. And the reason Leeds aren't in the Super League is because 20 years ago they made such a mess of their own finances that they almost went out of business. So as for earning it on the pitch, you bought your way into the Champions League and then collapsed spectacularly. This disappointing obviously for your fans for football in general that that happened to you but it's taken you so long to get your act together that you've just been left out but Leeds owners would 100% take a spot in the Super League if offered the owners of all clubs would but Leeds especially who not that long ago tried to lead a breakaway from the championship to get more money doesn't it seem mildly hypocritical that the team who led that, along with Aston Villa, are now preaching about earning it? Sky decided to make the Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville show free to air. Now, the game wasn't free to air. You had to pay for the game. But you could watch them pontificate and rail against the Super League. And all I could think of was, you're absolute hypocrites. Jurgen Klopp was asked his feelings. He said his feelings haven't changed. But he said he doesn't feel let down by the owners. He says they're good people. He likes working with them. They care. That manifested itself into an article on The Athletic today that said he was furious with them. He didn't seem or act furious at all. It started off by saying he was exasperated. But he was exasperated with the nonsensical questions that idiot journalists were asking him. Questions he couldn't possibly answer. And that article on The Athletic is a disgrace. 
that article on the Athletic is a complete misrepresentation of what Jurgen Klopp said or how he behaved. That article on the Athletic is merely one journalist attempting to turn what Jurgen Klopp said and how he acted around to suit the narrative of that journalist, to suit the tantrum of that journalist. So shame on that journalist, but you can't really be surprised. This is a man who's run more agendas over the years than anyone can count. And of course his issue will be with overseas owners, because his issue is always with overseas players. Um, Florentino Perez came out last night and gave an interview regarding the Super League. And look, he he's not someone you're going to trust. He really isn't. If he told you it was raining outside, you'd have to go out and check for yourself. But he said some interesting things. He said that Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern, and I think Dortmund, haven't been invited yet. Now, Miguel Delaney has said today that from a source inside PSG that they were cajoled, you know, approached, whatever, pressured. But the, the document that Der Spiegel, the German outlet, got their hands on is very clear on what it says. It says that they will be invited as soon as possible once the agreement that all the clubs had signed came into force. That agreement didn't come into force until Sunday. The earliest they could have been asked was Monday. By Monday, PSG and Bayern had already come out and said they weren't joining. So they were definitely approached about it. They were definitely pushed to join it. But I think Perez is getting away on a technicality here that they hadn't officially been asked to join it. Now, that's not to say that FC Hollywood or Qatar FC are the the good guys in all of this. The Qataris likely don't want the bad press or to upset the apple cart with UEFA and FIFA ahead of their World Cup next year, which, by the way, is one of the biggest scandals in the history of football. Bayern, as I've said yesterday, they can't agree to this without getting a vote from their members, same as Dortmund. If you look at the document, it says, I believe that PSG would have 14 days to respond, Bayern and Dortmund, sorry, yeah, Bayern and Dortmund would have 30 days to respond. That's because they would have to arrange an AGM and get their members to vote on it. The reason they couldn't vote on it beforehand is because then it would have become public knowledge that this was going on. So they can grandstand all they want, but the thing is, they're not going to get their members to, to vote on something that as it stands, is merely an idea. It's not a reality. There's no physical Super League yet. If it goes to that level, that it actually becomes a formed league, then they will go and say, well, we don't want to be left behind. And then they will pressure and cajole their members to vote yes and get them in. Likewise, PSG, once things have settled down, once this becomes more of a reality, once they know their World Cup is safe, 
then they will join. But for now, they're playing politics. And it's smart. I thought Neville and Carragher... I mean, it, it would mean more if they weren't sitting in a Sky studio talking about the integrity of the game, protecting the game, keeping the game for the fans, when Sky are the ones that took the game away from the fans. Sky took the game off the fans in the 90s and now want the fans to fight to keep Sky in power. Neville and Carragher have other platforms that they could speak on that would maybe carry a little bit more weight and seem a bit more genuine. Carragher said he wouldn't be a, a pundit or a commentator, and then clarified by saying, as it's currently orientated. Well, if all the money disappears from the Premier League and Champions League, and it's the only show in town, then it will mean more if you turn it down. It's easy to say now, when it's not a real thing, it's merely an idea, it's merely a proposal, that you would say no to it. Let's see how you act when it becomes reality. I thought both made good points, but neither made a real argument against it, other than the lack of competition, the guaranteed places. And that is that is the big negative about this. Now, there's lots of other people, and I saw I saw someone that I, I do respect as well. He's a journalist who covers the Bundesliga. Just histrionics. Oh, it's called the Super League because... They're going to play games here, there, and everywhere. They're going to move teams. No, they're not. They're not moving teams. And don't use the example of Wimbledon. Wimbledon, let's start. Not anywhere near the level of any of the clubs involved. Wimbledon didn't even have their own ground. They were basically homeless. They were moved to a new stadium. But they'd already moved before that across London. So, like, it's that's a silly argument to make, that Wimbledon are a, a, a reason why they're going to start moving clubs. They're not going to move Liverpool or Manchester United or Real Madrid. They're not going to move these clubs. They're just not. These are historic institutions. They're not Wimbledon. It's a ridiculous argument. They're going to move clubs. They're going to change the names. They're not doing any of that. There's been no suggestion that they're doing any of that. But as I said yesterday, people don't know what they're arguing against. Because the league have not said very much about what they plan to do, people are just speculating, making things up. Saw a tweet yesterday. Many of the games are going to be played in Dubai and Beijing. Nothing's been said. Nothing. Perez didn't say it. Nobody said it. That tweet got 10,000 retweets, 40,000 likes, based on a lie, based on histrionics, speculation, flapping. If there's going to be games played in other places, it might be one game a season per team. Simple as that. One game a season or even one home game a season. 
So each team plays four games at their own stadium. Sorry, I'm wrong. They will play eight games at their own stadium. And maybe one game then goes somewhere else. But even that's unlikely. More likely is that they play big money friendlies in other places to promote the league. There are real arguments to be made against this league. There absolutely are. But that's not one of them. The renaming thing is not one of them. The relocating thing is not one. Nobody wants to move these teams to Miami or New York or Shanghai. Nobody wants that. Nobody's suggesting that. But this is the fear of globalization. See, it's this mindset that gave us Brexit. You'll note there's not the same level of histrionics in other countries. Spanish aren't as up in arms. The Italians aren't as up in arms. There's real arguments. Make them. If you want to fight against it, make those arguments. But don't tell people to to write to their MP. Like, don't tell people to write to their MP. That's ridiculous. What's that going to accomplish? MPs have been as much sway and involvement in this as you know a bag of coal nonsense nonsense suggestions the some players have spoken out about it james milner said he didn't like it and hoped it wouldn't go ahead didn't say he wouldn't play in it richarlison was on social media yesterday not sure what he was talking about but is he saying he turned down a transfer to a team in the super league don't think so. Daniel Pedence had a post up listing off things that he grew up watching and, and dreaming of. All took place in the Champions League. A league formed in, in the 90s for greed. Went through the winners yesterday. It's always been a closed shop. Same as the Premier League. They're closed shops. There's just the opportunity And what they're taking away with the Super League is the opportunity. So that's what they need to address. That is the pushback for the most part. The idea that this is taking football away from fans is a nonsense. There's been no suggestion of that at all. However, the things we do know about the Super League, a salary cap. Haven't we all been talking about the need for salary cap for years Haven't we all been talking about restrictions on spending for years? Well, that's a good thing then, isn't it? Or is it only a good thing in the way you want it? They're they're going to do a women's Super League. More investment in the women's game. Isn't that what we've all wanted? Or do we only want it on certain grounds? More investment in academies. An academy Super League. Isn't that something we all wanted? See, these are really good proposals that they're making. The idea of funneling large amount of money into grassroots football. The idea of scaling back on players' wages. These are things that we can all agree are good ideas. And what they're doing is putting those ideas out there For UEFA to say, okay, maybe we adopt some of these things in the Champions League. 
maybe we adopt some of these things just as best practice. Instead, UEFA want to cry and moan, call people snakes, all while being one of the most corrupt organizations in the world. Removing UEFA from overseeing football would be a good thing. Everybody agrees with that. But yet some people are now hitching their wagons to UEFA. Like I said, there's really good arguments you can make against the Super League. The arguments most people are making are not good arguments. And they're not based in reality. And ignoring the proposals from the Super League because you just want to shut it down and not be open-minded, that's just bizarre. This is an opportunity to actually fix some of the things that have gone wrong in football. But you're too busy talking about moving clubs and changing names and nonsense that doesn't exist. This is going to run and run. There's been stories last night from Ollie Holt. Two Premier League clubs are getting cold feet. Comes out, turns out today, no, it's not true at all. As Perez said, these contracts are ironclad. They can't back out. They're in. And that's just it. So for those who were hoping that Man City or Chelsea, by the way, the two clubs that have you know, done most to damage the traditions of English football with the spending in the last 15, 16 years, they're, they're in. They're staying in. And the hypocrisy of seeing City fans say, R.I.P. City, you know, greed has overcome. You weren't complaining when all that money was pumping into the club from those owners and you were winning titles. Chelsea fans, the same. You weren't complaining then. Why are you complaining now? Because it doesn't suit your agenda. Like I say, make a real argument against it. There's plenty out there. There's plenty of real arguments you can make against it. But you can't be surprised that greed is the driving force. It's been the driving force in football for 30 years. The Premier League and Champions League were created only for greed. Don't stand there and tell me that Sky Sports are some sort of great bunch of lads who only care about the good of the game and all this kind of stuff. Them and BT have done more than anybody to take football away from the working class. So let's not let's not pretend Sky are doing this for anything other than their own self-interest. And as I say, I think Neville and Carragher do care. But they also have self-interest in this. And they're also been pushed forward. And I think that's a little bit unfair on them. Just as it's unfair on Jurgen Klopp for people to expect him to come out and say something. The amount of people I saw say, oh, he's disappointed with what Klopp said. What did you expect him to say? He's a man who does a job. He's not a decision maker. Now, I also think Jürgen's playing a little bit of shenanigans. Liverpool gave him carte blanche over the new training ground, a 50 million investment. He had involvement in the remodeling of the main stand. He will have involvement in the remodel in the expansion of the Anfield Road. So while he may not have known this was going, like when he said we only found out yesterday, 
I think he's, he's talking about he only found out that it was actually going ahead for certain yesterday. But there's no way he hasn't known this was a possibility for quite a while. There's no way that this didn't come up in his contract negotiations. Um, I'm not surprised by what he said. I thought what he said was, was a point well made. The owners are good people. He shouldn't feel let down by them. People need to realize that it's not his fault. It's not the player's fault. And they shouldn't direct their anger and their ire at them. Chelsea play Burm, uh, play Brighton tonight. Will Will Thomas Tuchel receive the same? Will Chelsea get booed? Cold scum? Will the whole world support Brighton? Or does that only happen when it's Liverpool? Interesting to see. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to point out about last night was Patrick Bamford made probably the best point anyone has made on television. And it's a point that um, my friend Nor Patterson has made on Twitter for the last couple of days. The sheer volume of people who've leapt to the defense of the current establishment of football and railed against the Super League. If they'd shown that same type of energy against things like racism in football, wouldn't the game be in a much better place? Bamford said it's interesting to see how much noise it creates when someone's pocket is in danger. Now, whether he's talking about UEFA, FIFA, Sky, BT, all of them, I'm not sure. I think a couple of journalists tried to use this as a point against the Super League. It's not the point he was making. He was actually saying how hypocritical it is and how funny it is when someone's best interest or someone's financial interest is at stake. They'll fight like all hell for it. When players are getting racially abused, you don't hear a word from them. They're talking about banning players from playing for their national teams because their clubs want to play in the Super League. But yeah, a guy got racially abused. Uh, he got suspended for three games for fighting back. He fought back against racism and got a three-game ban. Madness. Madness. Yeah, Thought Bamford spoke well. He's a very intelligent, articulate young man. And he, he's a fantastic footballer as well, which is um, you know, of big benefit to him. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we've got some news. Realised on the break, I said, we, we, we've got some news. As if I had some news, I don't. I've got news about football to talk about. Um, David Ornstein, as always, had his Monday piece. A couple of interesting bits in there. Uh, Crystal Palace are considering Patrick Vieira as a contender for their management position should they move on from Roy Hodgson, which seems almost certain at this point. Uh, Hodgson has finished 11th, 12th, 14th and the 13th this year. So he'll complete the set of abject mediocrity should he should he attain that position this year. Um, it looks like he will go. Other names alleged to be in the mix, Sean Dyche, Eddie Howe, Frank Lampard, Steve Cooper, uh, Valerian Ishmael. They've all come under consideration. Vieira's name is now in the mix. I thought Vieira did a decent job at Nice. Obviously, there's big expectations at Nice now. They're owned by a very wealthy man. And um, unfortunately for him, results just didn't go as planned. And, and Vieira was out of a job. But 
he will no doubt land on his feet. He will find he will find something, and Palace could be a good way into the Premier League for him. He would be a better appointment than Lampard. He's got a better track record than Frank. He's got more experience than Frank, having been in the City Academy. Then obviously with New York City FC. Um, he's also been linked to uh, to Newcastle. But I think Palace would be, it would be a good fit for him. I don't think he's the best choice they could make. I think Eddie Howe is probably the best choice they could make. But Vieira would make sense. Uh, Chelsea are interested in Nicholas Sewell, whose future at Bayern Munich is rumoured to be uncertain. Tang, um, Dale but Meccano's on his way. Lucas Hernandez is starting to look like the player they bought. They've got Benjamin Pavard. They've got Kouassi, who they brought in last summer. So there's, they're strong at centre-back, and maybe the time is is right for Sula to move on. He's never quite been the same since some of the injuries slowed him a little bit. Tremendous defender, and if Chelsea are going to stick to a back three, he would be perfect in that middle role. Um the fee would apparently be around 30 million. I think that would be a great deal for for Chelsea. I think he's he'd be one of two they'd need to bring in. Now Antonio Rudiger, Andreas Christensen and Cesar Aspilicueta are all at a contract in 2022. Thiago Silva has not signed on for next season. He has an option to do so. Uh, but he hasn't taken it up yet. So Chelsea are going to need some some freshening up at centre-back. They needed it anyway. It is an area of weakness in the team. Tomore, uh, a Chelsea defender that for some reason they don't seem to like all that much. He has that option to go to uh, AC Milan. He's there on loan. They've got the option to buy. By all accounts, they're very, very happy with him and would like to keep him. Chelsea do own Ethan Ampadu, but I don't think you'd want him playing the left side of a back three. Perfectly fine right side of the back three. Uh, they've got Mark Way, who's on loan at Swansea. He can play back left side of the back three, no question. Uh, he's a very good young defender. But, you know, Tamori would be a nice fit in that as well. And he can play left side as well as right side. So... If they could find a way to get Tamori back, bring Guehe back, bring Ampadu back, and then say hang on to Christensen, Zuma, and then they have um, Sula come in, that'd be a strong group. That would be a much better group than they've had this year. Aspilicueta will hang on for the year. I would sell Rudiger while his value is still a little bit high, even with only 12 months left in this deal. I would let Silva go because... He's just not the player he was. He's not a player that you can rely on regularly in the Premier League anymore. Um, Kevin De Bruyne's injury suffered against Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final is not deemed to be serious, but he is still a doubt for the Carabao Cup final against Spurs at the weekend and the Champions League semi-final against Paris Saint-Germain next week. So that's good news for City. Obviously, losing him for the two games is not great, but it is good to know it's not going to be a long-term thing. Um, it looks like the the greedy 12 or whatever, the dirty dozen, I think they've been called. It looks like the clubs involved in that will not be banned from European football. There had been some suggestion 
that they were going to ban Chelsea, Real Madrid and Man City from the Champions League and Manchester United and Arsenal from the Europa League. Now, the question then is, well, what happens to the competitions this year? I assume what they would have done is um, just brought back the teams that lost. So City, Dortmund would come in for them. Porto would come in for Chelsea. Now, Real beat Liverpool, so you can't bring them in. So you go back to the previous round, you bring in Atalanta. Now, that's a little bit tin pot. Does anyone... Like, it'd be fun. PSG, Dortmund, Porto and Atalanta would be fun. But it wouldn't draw numbers. And does anyone really want to win the Asterix Champions League? I don't think so. I really don't think so. Um, In the Europa League, you'd be putting out United. So obviously you'd be bringing back Granada. And you'd be putting out Arsenal and you'd have to bring back Slavia Prague. Whose player just got behind for racism. So it's not great optics either, is it? Um, it's better just to carry on. Let's just carry on. It's it's a nonsense to ban them. Like you can't the broadcasters would lose their minds. It would be absolute turmoil. Um Stephen Bergwine apparently is on the market this summer. Now this this could have changed with Mourinho's uh dismissal, but apparently he was looking to leave. Spurs were considering letting him leave this summer, and there is quite a bit of interest I would suggest that a new manager will want to keep him he's very very talented he's only 23 I think you'd be mad to let him go I think he's so good you'd be mad to let him go um that's the end of Mr Ornstein's column some good news some interesting stuff in that as there is for him ever from him every week uh, I did feel sorry for him, though, that he wrote all of this. And then, obviously, this was to come out Monday. Then the Super League stuff comes out Sunday night. And then Mourinho gets sacked on Monday morning. And it, it just kind of buries his his uh, his article, which does include, obviously, some interesting stuff about Nicholas Sula, etc. So, yeah. Uh, thank you, Mr. Hornstein, providing content. It's always nice. Um Sorry, there was one thing I meant to I meant I meant to mention when I was talking about Florentino Perez earlier on. The reason I brought him up in the first place was he said that the Super League was being created to save football. Now, as much as I'm remaining open-minded and and you know trying to put the hysteria to one side and remind people of where the game is and what the game has been, anyone that believes that the Super League has been created to save football, is sniffing copious amounts of glue. Uh, Absolutely not the case at all. I should also mention, while I think of it, um, on Friday, I said that there had never been a year where those English teams in in the Champions League semi-final and the Europa League semi-final. Of course, there was 2018-19 you had uh, Liverpool Spurs in the Champions League. You had Arsenal Chelsea in the Europa League. No idea how it slipped my mind, but thanks to Eddie Gibbs who let me know. Um, 
yeah, completely, completely slipped my mind. So yeah, it has happened. Uh, it would just be kind of cool for it to happen again, I suppose. Um, there's not a whole lot else. The, the Super League is is basically dominating all stories, and I don't want to talk about it anymore today. We talked about it at length yesterday, did another podcast on it yesterday, and it, it's all just, it's too much. It's too much while we know so little. That's the thing. It is too much while we know so little. There is merely speculation, rumour-mongering, fear-mongering, and a fear of change dictating the narrative about it right now. And the wrong people have been held up as, you know, as pillars of, of the community and bastions of integrity. So we'll just, we'll wrap up with the gossip today and we'll get out of here. Um, Tottenham have identified Julian Nagelsmann as the man they want to succeed, Jose Mourinho. This is not news. This is something we've known for weeks that, that Nagelsmann's name has been linked heavily to Spurs. And it makes sense, but I don't think there's any chance they'll get him. I think he will like to go to Bayern Munich with Hansi Flick announcing he is leaving. Nagelsmann will be a great appointment for Spurs, but I just I just don't see it. Um, former Spurs boss Mourinho was against the re-signing of Gareth Bale. I said that at the time. I didn't think it was a very Mourinho-esque signing. I thought it was a bad decision done for nostalgia purposes, done to sell a few shirts probably done to drive a bit of revenue while the, the stadium was, was without fans. So I could understand it from that point of view. But from a playing point of view, no. He hasn't played well this season. He's had you know a handful of half-decent games, a handful of moments where he looked like he cared. But for the most time, he just looks like a guy that doesn't enjoy playing football anymore. And it's, it's such a shame because in his prime, he was a, a tremendous player. But, you know, whatever's gone on at Real has spoiled it for him. Uh, Crystal Palace are the latest club to show interest in Chelsea and England midfielder Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Leeds and Monaco are monitoring the 23-year-old who's been on loan at West Brom since January. Yeah, I mean, he'd be a very, very good fit at Leeds in one of those two central midfield positions ahead of Calvin Phillips. I think he'd be a good signing for Crystal Palace given they need an overhaul this summer. A major overhaul is needed this summer. And uh, he would be a really good, a really good get because he's versatile. He's good on the ball. He's very good off the ball. I think he's got the potential to be anything you want him to be. Really, he's so young. He's got such versatility. You can mold him into any kind of player. Well, not any kind of player, but any position of player. Really, um, Liverpool are interested in Aston Villa and England striker Ollie Watkins, who became the Midland club's record signing eight months ago when he joined from Brentford. Yeah, I I doubt it. I doubt that be like they probably do have some interest in him, but they're not going to move for him. I mean, Watkins would cost north of fifty million now, and while I do like him, I think he's a very good player. He's not a fifty million pound player. You know, like he's an inside forward, plays as a nine. He works incredibly hard. He does a lot of the things Firmino does, but I think Liverpool need to evolve. I think they want to evolve. Uh, West Ham are leading the race for Yusuf El-Naziri from Sevilla, despite interest from Liverpool and Manchester United. He would be my pick. If Liverpool are to sign a number nine, he would be my pick. Um, any club that gets him is getting a tremendous, tremendous striker. So um, 
I hope Liverpool land him, but if United or West Ham get him, they they will they will have done very very well. Uh, Everton have started talks with Seamus Coleman about a coaching role when his playing days come to an end. His current contract runs till twenty twenty two, so he'll be thirty three next summer. I imagine he'll want to play another year or two, even if it's just as a squad player. But I do think they should look to move him on to the coaching staff after that. Barcelona are willing to let Ricky Puig leave on loan this summer and have interest in the Spanish midfielder from clubs, sorry, received interest in Spanish midfielder from clubs in the Premier League, Italy, Germany and Portugal. I really don't understand why they'd let him leave. Why not make him part of the squad? Um, he's, why not have him play regular? Like, no, he doesn't have to be an every game starter, but he can be a regular contributor. It would just be a bit strange to let him go. Um, Aston Villa are planning to make another approach for Werder Bremen's Milot Rashica after missing out on the 24-year-old Kosovo winger last summer. Are they, though? I, I'd, I'd have doubts over that. I'd have doubts over that. I, I think they'll probably have moved on. Uh, Bayern Munich are determined to sign Eduardo Camavinga, who has also attracted the attention of Real Madrid. Whoever gets him is getting the best young midfield prospect in the world. It, it goes him, Gravenberch, Bellingham. And I think the gap between him and the other two is not not sizable, but it's bigger than the gap between those other two, if you know what I mean. The gap from one to two is bigger than the gap from two to three. And I'm not sure who goes where in two to three. Um, Ed and Dzeko remains a target for Inter Milan this summer after they failed to bring the 35-year-old Bosnian to the San Siro in January. Conte does love himself an old player, doesn't he? He really does love himself someone who's a little bit past their best, but was great at some point. Played in the Premier League in the early in the early uh, 2010s. That's always a bonus for Conte. Um, relegation threatened. Sheffield Wednesday have put all contract talks on the back burner. Probably a smart decision. You know, given the current climate, probably a smart decision. Uh, Barcelona are yet to make an offer to Lionel Messi, whose deal with the Spanish club runs out in the summer. They're probably still trying to figure out what they're going to do. Like, if they're going to be in this Super League, they need to figure out what the parameters for that are going to be. I I think he stays now. It's it's there or PSG. I don't think there's another option for him, re- really. And I, I do kind of feel like he will stay at Barcelona. Talks between Barcelona and French forward Ousmane Dembele over a new contract are not progressing. His current deal runs out in 2022, which means they will have to sell him this summer because they can't afford to lose every penny that $105 million they spent on him. So they'd have to sell him, and they'd probably have to sell him at quite a loss so somebody could get a real bargain there. Paris Saint-Germain manager Mauricio Pochettino remains hopeful that Kylian Mbappe will agree a new deal with the club. They've been hopeful of that for a while. Mm, hasn't gone anywhere. If the Super League goes ahead, he's going to want to be in it. So if PSG aren't going to want to be in it, they may say goodbye to him. Alex Lacazette says, the decision about signing a new contract with Arsenal is not only on my side. With the 29-year-old striker's contract ending in 2022, if I can give Arsenal a piece of advice, do not give him a contract extension. Do not. And I say that as someone who loves Lacazette. I think he's a fantastic player. 
but he's 29 years of age. And he's going to want a four-year deal, which will take him to 33. Actually, it will take him to 34, because he turns 30 before the season ends. You cannot be investing massive money. He's going to want 150 to 200 grand a week. You've already got that Aubameyang contract that's going to be ugly. You've got the Willian contract that's going to be ugly. You've just gotten rid of Osul, Socrates, Mustafi. You've got still a couple of others to, to shift out of your club. Stop giving big contracts to players in their late 20s, early 30s when you're trying to rebuild. Sell him this summer. Reinvest that money. Promote Martinelli and Ketia and Balogun. You've got Aubameyang there. That's more than enough options up front. More than enough options. Don't need Lacazette. Sell him. Reinvest that money elsewhere in the team. Leicester and West Ham are interested in Chelsea and England striker Tammy Abraham, who was left out of the Blues FA Cup semi-final win over Manchester City. I thought it was really strange that he was left out of the matchday squad, despite being fit. Um, I, I've said before, I think Villa would be the perfect move for him. But if Leicester or West Ham are offering him starting football, I, I think either of those make sense. I think I, th- I would, if I was him, I think I'd rather go to Villa than West Ham because I think there's a clearer picture of what the, the plan is. I think the squad will grow to be superior. I think it probably already is close. They've got a better goalkeeper at Villa, better right back. Cons is the best centre back between the two clubs. They've probably got a better left back. Holding midfield is close between Louise and, and Rice. He'd probably edge Rice, but Louise is very good. I'd rather Suchek than McGinn, but McGinn is very good. You'd definitely rather have Grealish than like Jesse Lingard. You'd rather have Watkins than Mikel Antonio. If I was him, I think I think Villa have a better team. On paper, they have a better team. Moyes is doing a much better job than Dean Smith this year, but Dean Smith is doing a good job himself. I think Villa would be a better move than West Ham, but Leicester would be a better move than either. Um, the idea of Italy striker Moise Keane returning to Everton following his loan spell at PSG is difficult to imagine, according to his brother. I think Everton would be foolish to allow him to go. Uh, he's so talented. Why would you not want him? Why would you not want to keep hold of him? Um, Carlo Ancelotti wants to make Swedish goalkeeper Robin Olsen's loan move a permanent deal. Makes sense. He'd be a good backup, but you've still got to address your starting goalkeeper situation because it, it just can't be Pickford. Julian Nag- Nagelsmann has reiterated he has not held talks with Bayern Munich about replacing Hansi Flick as manager yet. Yet. It hasn't it, it hasn't sunk in for Bayern yet what's going on. Inter Milan are keen on signing 26-year-old Italian left-back Emerson Palmieri from Chelsea. He makes sense for Inter as a wing-back. Guy can't defend to save his life, but as a wing-back, he makes sense. That's where he shone for Roma, as a wing-back, not a full-back. Uh, Poland international former... Arsenal keeper uh, Vusek Szczesny will not be leaving Juventus to join Tottenham this summer. I don't know why Tottenham would want him. He's still not very good. I mean, he's better than he was at Arsenal, but he's still 
fairly average. Fairly average. AC Milan defender Ricky Massara says he expects the club to sign a new deal with Zlatan and is confident that Italy goalkeeper and Turkish midfield Italy goalkeeper Gigi Donnarumma and Turkish midfielder Hakan Celanoglu will both sign new contracts with the Serie A side. Uh, it's I think the important one is Donnarumma. I mean, you know, Zlatan is is thirty nine. It's a one year deal. Uh, Celanoglu is is twenty seven. He's wildly inconsistent. Donnarumma is twenty two. He's the future of your club. That's the deal you get done. Anything else on top of that's a bonus. That's the one you have to get done. And I'll say this, if if the owners, if, if that deal doesn't get done and he leaves in a free, the owners should sack everybody who's been involved in contract negotiations with him. Give that kid whatever he wants. That's how good he is. Um, that is it then. That is the show for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to Guy Drinkle. I uh, hope he had a nice birthday yesterday. And thanks to Fox Hunt for the title music. I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy Chelsea against Brighton. Should be a good game. Podcast Network.